this year that I've done. All right, let's get into the Word of God. Grab your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to talk about your inheritance is waiting. Your inheritance is waiting. Maybe, and uh, this is probably aged out of some of, there's, uh, I see some uh, folks that may not have ever seen this commercial, but I want to take you back to a commercial that I, I really got a kick out of, and it's quite, it, it, I haven't seen it in years, so it's kind of an older one. It's uh, a, a, a bit of a, the commercial is basically on someone who had died. And there's, obviously the person was extremely wealthy. And you're watching the funeral procession, and there's the black Cadillacs and the black BMWs and the black Mercedes, and just this big, long line of beautiful black vehicles, and they're all just kind of enjoying their time, and it's like, yeah, we're, we're off to the funeral, let's have a good time, because whoever that person was that just passed away, that person was loaded, and we can't wait for the will to be read. The last car was a little blue Volkswagen. The man in that, in Dead Serious, he obviously loved who that person was. And And he's in that little Volkswagen crying his eyes out, following all those big buck cars. And when they get to the will and testament, I, I don't even think that poor guy showed up. He was heartbroken over the loss of his loved one. Everybody else was there, pencils and paper ready, uh, wills about to be read, and they're like, oh, yeah, we've been waiting for this. And they start to read the will. And, and some of you, I'm sure, have seen this. It, it dates us a little bit, but it's out there. And they, they start to read the will, and he starts to name the people that were in those fancy black cars. He starts to go by name, and he's like, yeah, you're an arrogant individual. You deserve nothing, and that's what you're going to get, nothing. And uh, all of a sudden, they're like, how dare they? And they start slamming their things down and walking out. Oh, this is like a 30-second commercial, so it's... It's amazing how much they got into it. And he basically, very quickly, they go through the list, and people are mad because he, he, he wrote them out of the will. You ain't getting anything. You, you didn't love me. You didn't care about me. All you were self-centered. And I'm not going to give you anything. And then there's a little guy in that blue Volkswagen crying his eyes out. And to him, I give everything. Like Him? Are you kidding me? Outrageous. Horrible. How? And of course, they're mad and they walk out and, but well, too bad, you get nothing. Well, I want to talk tonight about from, from a scriptural perspective that you have a tremendous inheritance waiting you if you're a child of God. A massive inheritance that God has for you. A couple of questions. Have you ever received an inheritance? And uh, uh, many, I mean, mom or dad or grandparents or somebody you knew or that loved you and cared about you, and uh, all of a sudden uh, they pass away as the testator, and that's an important word tonight, the testator, the person who wrote basically the will. And uh, the testator said, uh, I've got so much money that I want to give to this person or that person or to this estate or to that estate or to this corporation or whatever it may be and the testator writes the will out so maybe you've 
had the benefit of receiving an inheritance. Now, others of you, maybe uh, one day you will receive an inheritance. But think about that little silly commercial that I just talked about. And by the way, it was a commercial about the Volkswagen, okay? So uh, if you didn't catch that, the guy in the Volkswagen, he's the real hero here. But think about if you have an inheritance waiting for you. My dad, who was not a rich person by any stretch of the imagination, had a will written out for uh, me and my two sisters. And when my dad would occasionally bring that up, I'd get very agitated about it with him. You know why? Because in order for a will to take effect, what has to happen? He's got to die. That wasn't a real pleasant thought to me. And the concept is, if you know someone that has an inheritance waiting for you, how would you treat that person? Like the folks in the, the fancy black $100,000 cars or the guy in that $200 Volkswagen that was falling apart and crying his eyes out? But he loved, the, he loved that person. And I want to take us into the spiritual realm. We've looked at it at just to set the ground. It's like, okay, how do I think about this? How do I think about the one who has a tremendous inheritance waiting for you? Now, here's the caveat on this. And it sounds a little weird maybe, but I'm going to ask you this question. Are you related to the testator who has a tremendous inheritance waiting for you? Are you related to him? You I mean how do you how do you get related to God? Well, if you're if you're here and you placed your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did for you and you received Him as your personal Savior, you become a child of what? You're a child of God. You're a child of the King. You belong to His familia, His family. And when when you look at this, it's like all right, God has a massive inheritance waiting for you. The testator, Jesus Christ. What did he do? How did he accomplish what he did in order to allow you as an individual to have this massive inheritance that's waiting for you? So this evening, what we're going to do, we're going to examine the appropriate response of the children of God towards the one, speaking of Christ, who has promised them a massive inheritance. Well, let's take our Bibles. We're going to go to Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 12. I'll read through verse 17. We'll pray and uh, think about it tonight. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, one who has placed their faith and trust in Him, this is for you this evening. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, now who's the brethren? Or the... Uh, it sounds, it's not an English word, but the cistern, <laughs> the brethren and the cistern, uh, the brethren incorporates the male and the females here that have placed their faith and trust in Christ. So therefore, brethren or Christians, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out. Two of my favorite words in the Bible, Abba, Father. We'll talk about that in a minute. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, Father, I pray as we open up the precious Word of God this evening, as we study its contents, Lord, this is exciting. It's exciting to know, first of all, that uh, for those of us that have placed our faith and trust in what Jesus alone could do for us in his death, burial, and resurrection, that one day we'll, we'll be in your presence as an adopted child of the King. Then, Father, the wonderful beauty and glory of all the things that are waiting for us, which we'll be able to enjoy for eternity, Lord, it's just so awe-inspiring as to what's coming for us. So, Father, thank you for, uh, uh, for those of us that have placed our faith and trust in Christ to tell us about these wonderful things ahead of time. And then, Lord, maybe there's someone here tonight, maybe somebody watching on the Internet that's never placed their faith and trust in Christ. They don't know for sure if they were to die, they'd go to heaven. They don't know that they're a child of the King. Father, might they find Jesus this evening and be adopted into the family of God. So, Father, we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to rush through the first several verses and uh, spend more time on the last part because, quite frankly, here's what we've gone through. Uh, we go in, 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 in a, at this particular church, we go what's called expository preaching, which means we go verse by verse by verse through uh, books. I do topical speaking on occasion, but Sunday nights I've been staying pretty much with the book of Romans. So we've advanced from Romans chapter 1, we're now up to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 6, just as a reminder, uh, uh, those of you that have been here, Romans 6 dealt with one major issue. How are Christians to deal, if you will, with the sin issue as Christians? And God made it very clear in Romans 6. He said, listen, uh, if you place your faith and trust in Christ, uh, uh, how should we live? Should we live in sin? Should we continue in sin that the grace of God should be basically shown forth? And uh, the apostle says, listen, no, if you're a true Christian, Absolutely not. God forbid that we should continue to live in sin. So out of thankfulness to the Lord, we basically say uh, uh, we're dead to sin. And that's we talked about that for multiple sermons, that we're dead to sin and alive to Christ. Romans chapter 7, we talked a great deal about the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, and uh, that we're no longer in bondage to the Old Testament law, but we're set free by the grace of God from following the Old Testament law. So we are not debtors, if you will, to the law. But now we come to this passage of uh, Romans chapter 8, and we're switching gears. We are talking about our how, to, how should we respond to uh, the issue of sin as God's people. And God basically says, straighten up, live right, do the right thing. Pretty simple. And uh, chapter 2, he's like, uh, uh, should we? And of course, there were, uh, when uh, the first century, when the scriptures were written, there was a very strong uh, a Judaistic 
uh, flavor to the things that were going on. Many Jewish folks had gotten saved. They'd come to Christ. They trusted him. They were trying to live for him. But they had a group called the Judaizers, if you remember. And they kept trying to pull God's people away from the grace of God and put them back under the law. And God made it very clear to those Jewish individuals, and quite frankly, still to folks today, 2,000 years later, we talked about this a great deal. We're just doing a quick review now. Here's the big issue in Christendom today. There's churches all around Wisconsin. There's churches all around the country. There's churches all around the world. There's religions all around the world that teach that you get to heaven by doing what? good works work your way to heaven and these judaizers were trying to pull the same thing with god's people it's like you got to be under the law you got to have circumcision you got to do the old testament rituals and god said "Uh -uh." the whole book of galatians was written to refute that and paul says we're free we're free we're free from the old testament law at this point so what else is he saying now we get into romans chapter 8 we started it a couple of weeks ago and of course we had a couple of break weeks in there but romans chapter 8 now we're not talking about the sin issue anymore we're not talking about being under the law anymore now we're talking about how should a christian what should their relation be with the holy spirit the holy spirit now uh, uh the holy spirit is probably one of the most neglected truths and doctrines in scripture especially uh, and i I just got to eat crow here especially in many baptist churches you say well why is that why is the holy spirit not uh, a brought front and center uh, like should be and i'll tell you exactly why and and i like to talk blunt and and put things on the platter that are there i'll tell you exactly why the holy spirit has not been given the place that the holy spirit deserves and it's strictly because there's other churches that have gone into uh, uh, the glossolalia, the speaking in tongues and the prophecies and the word of knowledge and all those things uh, uh, that were apostolic gifts in, in that time period. And there's been that rub. Well, we got to make sure we don't get caught up in, in uh, the charismatic or the Pentecostal or the assembly of God uh, doctrine. And we, quite frankly, many a Baptist church, many a Bible churches has gotten so far over here to try and stay away from that particular issue that we quite frankly have uh, gone too far at at times so what am i saying what i'm saying is the holy spirit is a major 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 piece of who we are and what we do we've talked about many a time first corinthians 12 13 makes it very clear the moment you placed your faith and trust in christ who came to dwell within you holy spirit and uh, over and over and over again, the, the scriptures document the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within you. This morning when we were preaching about uh, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, folks, the main reason, Ephesians 4.30, I absolutely love that, that verse. And we dealt with folks that were struggling. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I eternally saved? Or can I lose my salvation? And we went to Ephesians 4.30. We went to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, where God makes it clear that you are sealed, eternally sealed by the Holy Spirit. And God said, listen, don't quench the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed unto the day of redemption. That's a wonderful truth. So every single person here, if you place your faith and trust in Christ, receive the free gift of eternal life, the Holy Spirit came to indwell you the moment you placed your faith and trust in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, Know you not, Christian, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He repeats it again, 1 Corinthians 6, 
19. Know you not, Christian, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So uh, 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 this is a wonderful, wonderful doctrinal truth. It's a wonderful truth that the Holy Spirit dwells within every single person that's placed their faith and trust in Christ. That's why when a Christian, a true Christian, I was asked the other day, what's a true Christian? Uh, I, I sometimes put those modifiers on them because there's so many people that claim to be Christians, but they, the claim is not a reality. Uh, just because someone goes to a quote-unquote Christian church, which includes a wide variety of, of groups, because I go into a garage, does that make me a car? Uh-uh, I'll never be a car, even though I walk into a garage. I'm not a car. Oh, I, I, I saw it. I'm sorry, I got a break for a second. I saw the cutest bumper sticker I ever saw the other day. Just a little tiny car driving down the road, and on the back it said, I identify as a motorcycle. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I identify as a motorcycle. Like, uh, no, you're not a motorcycle. You're a car. Too bad, brother. But uh, anyway, uh, but that's, that's the thing. Uh, a, a person who says, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? If you took a survey of all the folks that claim to be Christians, there's going to be a whole lot more than our true born-again believers in Jesus Christ. So for someone to say they are a Christian, you better ask the next question. Well, what does that mean? What did you do to become a Christian? Because the majority of people that in this world, unless you're in our kind of an environment, a Christian means, well, you know, I've been a good person. I go to church and I'm a Christian. Uh, when they talk about uh, places like Egypt, and I've been to Egypt, and uh, they'll talk about the Christian church there. The Christian church happens to be Coptic. The Coptics are not born-again believers. It's the same as other groups that put the name Christian on the wall, on the door, and, and claim to be a Christian. So uh, what is a true defi defining statement about what is a Christian? Well, it's one that clearly understands the gospel. Now, I'm going to give the gospel this very moment instead of at the end of the message. So those of you that are Christians, it's time to pray and ask God to do his work in hearts of people. What is a Christian? It's one, number one, that understands that they're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number two, the Bible says because we've sinned, if we got what we deserved, not a single one of us would go to heaven because we do not deserve heaven. Romans 6.23, every single one of us deserves a place uh, called the eternal lake of fire. When I was speaking at uh, Tri-County, and there's people there that have never in their life heard the gospel before, and uh, I started to talk about Revelation 21.8, which talks about the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, eternal death, the second death for all that never placed their faith and trust in Christ. And I looked right over at the politicians and at the police officers, and uh, they, I, I mean, they were locked locked onto my eyes because most of them had never heard that before. And I said, yes, the uh, hell, the lake of fire, it's so politically incorrect, but it's biblically spot on. And, and you quote the Word of God. By the way, the Word of God is what? It's quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the binding asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know the, the Word of God cuts folks up? 
I watched as people's hearts were getting cut up and uh, uh, all of a sudden realizing there's something more than just going into church and doing ritualistic things, that there's a Jesus who died for them. So we're sinners. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We all deserve an awful place called the lake of fire. But Jesus Christ himself, God's son, comes down from heaven, dies on a cross for our sins, willingly gave his life for us. He was buried three days later, rose from the dead to prove he's God. The gospel's so simple that any child that has any cognitive understanding knows that they've done wrong and they know they need a little Savior for them. And the same with adults, same with teenagers, same with senior citizens that have never placed their faith and trust in Christ. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes and he, hello, hello. And uh, the Holy Spirit begins to work on lives. And all of a sudden, something happens. If you're a Christian here tonight, remember when it happened to you, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart's door and all of a sudden it makes sense. Maybe you'd been uh, uh, going to church for years sometimes, some maybe when you were young, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to work on you and it's like, I get it. I get it. And, and you placed your faith and trust in Christ. And if you've never done that, I invite you to do that tonight because that starts the process. You see, you, don't, you can't have peace. You can't have love. You can't have joy. You can't understand what heaven's about. You cannot have the inheritance we're going to talk about this evening unless you are a child of the king. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, the Bible's so simple. John three sixteen. you know the verse, for God so loved the world, that's each one of us, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him, his death, burial, and resurrection should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Saved from sin? Saved from the penalty of sin. That's what Jesus did for us. And uh, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I invite you to do that right now, just right where you are. Uh, would you ask Jesus to come in your heart? Would you ask uh, uh, receive that free gift? I'm going to pause. We're going to pray right now, then we'll finish the service. But uh, that's the gospel. And you can't understand what an inheritance is until you first start that relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now uh, as we pause the service. Maybe there's someone here tonight, maybe someone on the Internet watching, and they've never placed their faith and trust in the finished work of what Jesus did for them. If that's you this evening, I invite you right there where you are. It's by faith and faith alone. Nothing you can do. For by grace, God's free, unmerited gift are you saved. Saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. And it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of our works, not of our good deeds, lest any person should boast. Right there where you are, would you, you've, uh, would you say yes to Jesus? Would you by faith receive that free gift? Would you do that right there? Maybe you'd like to say something like this in thanksgiving if you've just by faith received Christ. Let's do a simple, uh, every head's bowed. If you're receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior right now, I think you'd want to thank him for that, wouldn't you? I sure would, and I did when I received Christ. Maybe you want to say something like this silently in your heart. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven, but this very moment by faith, I'm receiving the free gift of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of what Jesus did for me. Thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now, every single person here that's placed their faith and trust in Christ, whether in the past or potentially just happened a few seconds ago, and uh, God says, all right, if you placed your faith and trust in me and you're a child of the king, I've got an inheritance for you. Now, folks, God's got something great for you, but you can't have it, what, unless you are one of his children. So he says, therefore, brethren, Christians, we're debtors. Uh, oh, I'm a debtor. You say, uh, Brother Rich, why have you given your life to the ministry outside of being called by God? Why do many of you serve and serve and serve and give and give and give and, and you just pour yourself into ministry? Nobody comes up to you after you've uh, done the things that you do for God and give you a paycheck. You don't do it for money. And uh, uh, you do it because you love the Lord and, and you want to serve Him and you want to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Why? Because we're debtors. We're all debtors. Uh, we're debtors to Jesus and what he's done for us and giving his life for us and paying our sin debt and taking us and freeing us from the potential of hell doesn't exist anymore for God's people because you are his child. So then he says, therefore, Christian, we are debtors. And he says, here's what we shouldn't do. We're not debtors to the flesh. Well, what does the flesh mean? Of course, the Bible always, when it talks about flesh, it's talking about that which is corrupt, that which is not eternal, that which does not have eternal value. That's the flesh. You say, well, can you give me some examples of what the flesh is? Well, flesh, quite frankly, is doing anything that's contrary to what God wants. You say, can you get more specific than that? You're too broad. Well, all right. I'll give you something simple to start with. Is, is lying acceptable to God? If you lie... You're uh, living in the flesh. If you cheat on uh, uh, things, is that acceptable to God? No, it's living according to the flesh. If uh, your eyes wander, ladies or men, and uh, you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, is that living in the flesh? It is. Anything that any child, teenager, adult does that's contrary to what God once you're falling into the flesh. And God said, listen, and we talked a great deal about it this morning. Can I, let's just be honest for a moment. Are you ever tempted to do wrong? If, you, if you're not tempted to do wrong, come see me. There's something right. Because God makes it very clear that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will indeed suffer what? Persecution, and we've talked about this before. Satan does not attack his own people that don't know Christ because he's already got them. You know who he attacks? It's people who are trying to live for God, try to do the right thing, and ba-boom, he just keeps shoveling garbage in, in your path to try and trip you up so you do wrong. You say, man, I struggle with certain things. Of course you do. But there is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man but wait a second he says when the holy spirit comes to dwell within you greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world and you can fight those things yeah sometimes you succumb and you mess up and you do wrong but he says you are not to live as a debtor to the flesh it's not what god's called us to do well let's move on he says for you if you live according to the flesh you're gonna die it's like it's not a good way to live it's not what god has called his people to do but we get away from the negative. Let's get to the positive. 
And I like the positive. So uh, uh, the appropriate response to the testator. Now, who's the testator here? It's the Lord, right? It's the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Uh, uh, who's the one that died for us? Right? The testator. Has the testator died? Now, the good news is, did the testator rise from the dead? Absolutely. So, I mean, you don't get any better than that. But the testator has already given his life so that you what? So that you can have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. John chapter 14 through 16 talks about Jesus said, listen, uh, uh, I'm going to go away. And I need to go away. He knew he needed to give his life. He knew he, knew he, did, he needed to provide the sacrifice for our sins. But he said, listen, if I don't go away, who isn't going to come? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Uh, and Jesus said, listen, when I go away, and I'm going up, I'm going to disappear for a bit. And he's disappeared for 2,000 years right now. But who did he send down here? The what? The Holy, the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Holy Spirit was sent down. And by the way, different than the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not permanently indwell individuals. You say, seriously? Seriously. Uh, you remember a guy named King David? King David went into horrible sin committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba, killed her husband Uriah. And David gets on the, re finally he's like, man, I messed up, I did wrong. And he's repentant of what he did. And uh, he, he begs God, he said, dear God, don't take the, the Holy Spirit from me. And uh, you sin back in the Old Testament times, it wasn't a permanent dwelling like it is today. Uh, but he says, listen, but if you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Uh -oh. Speaking from how are you going to live? What are you going to do? How are you going to serve God? Well, let's move on and figure this out. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now you say, how do you know if you're being led by the Spirit of God? Do you have a conscience do you know that you were born with that conscience? Do you know that God placed that conscience with inside of you to do what? To tell you what's right, to tell you what's wrong. The Bible talks about an individual whose conscience is seared. Now, if you're a Christian, and you placed your faith and trust in Christ, do you know that it's impossible for you to be seared? That your conscience can't be seared. It's not going away. And you know how I know that? You know how you know that? Because every single time you do something you know you shouldn't have done after you placed your faith and trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit that came and lived within you, something's yelling at you inside to knock it off. And you're saying, ah, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to fight this. the best. And he just keeps there, and he just keeps there, and he just keeps there. He just keeps pushing uh, uh, your button, saying, don't do it, don't do it. You say, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And sometimes you do. You disobey the Holy Spirit. And uh, you violate Ephesians 4.30, which says, do not what? Grieve the Spirit of God by whom you are sealed under the day of redemption. And eventually... The Holy Spirit's going to keep knocking and knocking and knocking on your door, and eventually you're going to come back to the Lord, or He's just going to take you home. Hmm. All right, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the Son of God. Well, let's talk about the leading of the Holy Spirit. For you 
did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's the negative side. But here's what you did receive, and I just love this. Christian, what did you receive? You received the spirit of adoption. Now, uh, uh, maybe you know some young people or maybe uh, older folks that have been adopted into a family. And God uses that terminology here. Uh, 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 even though we're called sons of God or children of God, we are not God. I think we can all agree, I hope we can all agree that we are not God. God's kind of in a little different category than me and you. So God says, listen, I want to adopt you into my family and by the Holy Spirit who basically brings you into his family via the concept of adoption. And now here's that, here's those, those words and I'm looking back at Nancy and Lynn and John from the funeral that I was just at. And uh, boy, I tell you, this just, uh, it did it. But I'm sitting up here in the front and listening uh, to uh, Nancy's son, Mark. And I mean, it just, it just tore me up. You say, why? Because Mark, our Christianson's son, Nancy's son, he's looking up to heaven. And he's saying, Abba. Father. Now, Art was an intellectual. Mark, I think, is an intellectual. And they knew French, they knew Spanish, they know Hebrew, they know English. Uh, I think English. Uh, I heard him speak in English. But anyway, I, I understood that. And Mark looks up, and he's not talking to God at this point. He's looking up as if he's talking to his daddy, and he goes, Abba, Father. Then he said a few other things and a few other in French and Spanish. And you say, well, why did that get to you? Because God right here says, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Do you know what Abba means? And some of you have heard this. It means my heavenly papa, my, my daddy, my papa. I always struggled with this, and some of you have heard me talk about this if you've been at this church for a while. So I'm in Israel, and... Uh, I'm at the, the Western Wall uh, Plaza. Many of you know you've seen the Western Wall, maybe on TV and so forth. If you remember the beautiful big gold dome building, uh, the Dome of the Rock, which is where the first and second temples used to be, but now it's an Islamic shrine. But if you go to the Western Wall, what do you see there? You'll see a many, uh, you'll see visitors and uh, normal folks, if you will, but there's a lot of Orthodox Jewish people. And uh, uh, they speak Hebrew in, in Israel now. Now, the, the Jewish people, most of them also speak English and maybe a few other languages, very smart people. But I've, I, I've been struggling with this. What, what truly, because I've heard different commentaries speak about different things about what does Abba Father mean? Abba, Abba, what's Abba mean? And I'm standing in the, in, in the Western Wall Square, and all of a sudden I hear a little kid say, Abba, Abba, Abba. And his dad was standing right next to him. Abba! He's trying to get daddy's attention. Abba! Daddy! Daddy, would look down at me. I'm, I'm calling out to you. Now, he didn't say that in English, but that's what he was doing. Abba! And I was like, there it is. There it is. Abba, Father. 
my heavenly daddy, my, my, my one who uh, you look up and, and it's like, oh, uh, uh, my, the one who has taken me into his family, the one who is there to help me as a little baby child that looks up from his stroller and looks up to his daddy and says, Abba, Abba. What? He's looking for some help. He's looking for some encouragement. He's looking for his needs to be fulfilled. And God says to us as his children, we looks down at us and says, I've adopted you into my family. And now we call out, Abba, my dear heavenly Father. And there's no disrespect meant. You say, do you think it's appropriate that you look at God as your heavenly Papa, as your heavenly Father is your heavenly daddy, so to speak, in the most righteous of ways? Absolutely. That's how much God loves you. The same as when uh, my daughter, who's sitting back there, or my son, and, and, and when they were little tiny babies, and, and you'd pick them up or they, when they were little toddlers, and uh, uh, they come, Daddy, Daddy, I need something. And uh, was that good or not? Um, I think it sounds just like Tabitha. And uh, Daddy, Daddy, uh, I need this. And what does Daddy do if he can? He meets the needs. That's the same thing God says for you. You see, every single one of you have needs every single day. And I, I encourage you, when you get out of bed in the morning, when you come to in the middle of the night, uh, before you go to bed, when you're in the midst of family, things that are going on, and you look up and say, Daddy, I need some guidance. And I mean that with the most diligent of respect. Father, I need some help. I need some guidance. Would you watch over my actions today, over the things I do? My heavenly Father, Abba Father, my adopted Daddy. I've told you folks that have known me for a while, and I do this a lot. You say, well, what are you, why are you raising your hand? I'm not having some kind of fit up here, and I don't do this in public. I usually do it by myself. And I'll reach my hand up, and I'll say, Father, would you take my hand today? I need your help. I'm not doing this uh, like uh, I'm doing some kind of praise thing. I'm holding it up there because I need Daddy to take my hand and walk me through life. You say, wait a minute. You're a big guy. You've been around the block a few times. And you mean to say that you put your hand up there just like a three-year-old child or a two-year-old child and say, Daddy, would you take my hand and lead me? You betcha I do. Because if the Lord is not guiding me, if the heavenly father is not there helping me through life i'm going to fail same as you and we need the heavenly father hand to be there to grab on to us and to help us through life's problems and life's challenges the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit we christian are unequivocally children of god and all god's people said Amen. all right let me give you some verses. Romans 8, 17, and if we're children, we're what? Heirs. Heirs. Folks, we, we could go to, I'm not going to do it, but we could go to Revelation right now and start th looking through the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, and what's waiting for us there. If I had an hour to preach, 
Those of you that want to stick around, I'll do it for you. Not really, uh, not tonight. But uh, uh, you go to Revelation, you go to Revelation chapter uh, 21, and it talks about the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and uh, the things that God has for his people for eternity. Folks, you ain't seen nothing yet. I don't care if you got the best mansion in town, the best car in town, uh, the best property in town, the most money in the bank. It don't compare with what God's got waiting for you. It's waiting for you. It's there. Why? Because God said, I'm giving my children the best of the best of the best. Now, let me caveat. That's wonderful. I'm thankful for that. And it's like, I don't want to get into a materialistic type concept here. You see, because what's the, remember what I said when I said my, before my dad died, he was the testator of his will. I hated when dad talked about the will. Now, I was the executor, so I had to make sure he wanted to make sure I did things the way he wanted them done, which, of course, we did when he passed away. But I didn't sit there saying, boy, I sure hope dad dies right now. I sure hope he goes away so we can spread his wealth around. Do you love the Father? Do you love the Lord for who he is, not for what he has to give to you? I mean, it's a wonderful thing. Sure, there's wonderful things waiting for us, but it's like you love the Lord that much. It's not about what we are promised. It's about who he is today and what he's done for us and the sacrifice that he made so someday we can spend eternity from him. That's the glory of it. By the way, think about this. And I hesitate to do this. I don't think anybody's going to raise their hand. But uh, is there anybody homeless here tonight? I don't think so. To my knowledge, every person here, and I know most everybody here, you've got a place to go to tonight. Let me take you to Jamaica for a few minutes. Let me take you to Ukraine for a few minutes. Let me take you to other places that third world countries tonight. The families will grab a piece of cardboard and make a makeshift hut so they have a little bit of something to keep them out of the elements tonight. Where do you live? You say, ah, man, you know, my house isn't a whole lot to speak about. Is it better than a cardboard box? You got food on the table, enough to eat so you're not starving to death like 900 million people are doing across the world tonight? Like, I never thought of it that way. You know, as much as we have, as much as uh, as nice as we do or don't think our home is or where we live or the food that we eat, and that's like, to that person living in the third world country, you're as rich as rich as rich can be. Like, seriously? I'm dead serious. They would, I use the term loosely, they would die to have what we have, what you have. We're heirs. Heirs of what? Well, let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 9. For where there is a testament, basically a will, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. That's the horrible thing about a will. Someone's got to give their life for you to accept that, for, for you to have that inheritance available to you. For a testament or a will or a covenant is in force after men are what? They're dead. It requires someone's life 
in order for you to get that inheritance since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Now you say, well, you know, I know on occasion somebody gives a lot of resources to someone before they die. That's not a will. That's not a testament. That's not a covenant. That's a generous whoever. It's the will, though. It's the testament. It's the covenant that can only be enforced after someone gives their life. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Mosaic law here. How did the Mosaic law, how was that done? How were the things done in the Old Testament through the sacrifice of animals? Blood was shed. Something had to die in order for uh, uh, that testament to be put into effect. And God made it clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Verse 19, Hebrews 9, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, most all things are purified with what? With blood. What is the blood symbolizing? It's not like somebody took a, a, a little knife and slit a finger and put some blood on something. He's talking about the giving of a massive amount of blood signifying that something had to die in order for it to go into effect. Verse 22, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without shedding of blood or literally the death of something, there is no remission. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice uh, cows and oxen and birds and lambs and goats and you name it, it got sacrificed. And the sacrifice wasn't, well, we'll just slit a little bit and take a little bit of blood and that does it. No, they killed that animal. They killed that, that whatever it was and that blood was taken out, put in the chalice, poured out on the altar and that animal gave its life in order for the covenants, in order for the law to be in effect. Verse 23, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Verse 24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true. What we're talking about, now for some of you this might be new material, God makes it very clear in multiple passages that the things that basically we're going to see in the millennial temple, there is the reality of those items already in heaven. There's duplicates of those things that were made in the first and second temple that will be done in the third and fourth temples, which are yet to take place. But God actually has these things in heaven. And that's exactly what he's saying here. So the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. So Old Testament law was this. The high priest once a year, he'd go to the temple. The sacrifice was made. The blood was taken inside the temple into the Holy of Holies where the blood was placed on the Ark of the Covenant where the Shekinah glory of God was in the first temple period. The blood was shed to atone for the payment of the sins of the people, including the high priest. You say, what do you mean atone? 
basically it was a covering until the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ came. That's what the atonement was. And you didn't do that without bringing blood to the Lord. Verse 26, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, he, speaking of Jesus, has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of whom? Himself, the testator, gave his life. And as it is appointed to men, for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Here's a little bit of a negative spin on what we're talking about as far as an inheritance who will receive it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul said, You not know that the unrighteous, in other words, those without Christ, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, you just don't automatically die and boom, just because uh, uh, you're a human being, you automatically go to heaven. It just doesn't happen that way. Uh, we, we spoke about it again at uh, uh, the, the law enforcement service that I held today, and I've talked about it here many a time. I wrote the book, Are You going to a better place are you going to a better place and every single funeral what do people say well they're in a better place today how do you know that well because that's what we're supposed to say at funerals they're in a better place god says those without christ are not in a better place they're in a horrible place a lake that burns with fire and brimstone for eternity. You say, well, I, I don't like that. I, I, I don't think that's a great thing. It's not your decision to make. You see, God made it very clear that he is a righteous, loving God, and he sacrificed, he put his son on the cross to pay for our sins, and God takes that very seriously. And, for, and by the way, God is not willing that any should perish. Not willing that anybody goes to hell. You know that the, what was hell made for originally? For what? The devil and his angels. It wasn't made for humans. But God made it clear, listen, if people are going to reject my son, if people are going to get uh, uh, basically be dismissive of what Jesus did, there's a price to pay because God is also just. It's a judicial decision. If you place your faith and trust in Christ, you are my child. The judge says so, and the judge is God. But those who refuse to come to Christ, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were, did you catch that word? Were, some of you. But what happened when you trusted Christ? You were washed. You were sanctified in other words set apart from those type of things but you were justified which is a judicial determination that which you place your faith and trust in christ you were justified by legal counsel if you will god himself in the name of the lord jesus and the might the spirit of our god you say oh, wait a minute hang on pastor uh, 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 uh wait a minute i don't think i agree with this passage i'm sorry i didn't write it you say, what are you saying here? Because don't you believe that we're saved by faith and faith alone? Oh, absolutely I do. Well, what if somebody who's a Christian goes into the sins that are talked about here? 
listen carefully. Is it possible as one of God's children to make a really bad mistake and do... Has a, do you think a Christian's ever committed adultery? Yeah, absolutely. Here's the concept here. The verb tense is basically to continue in sin. God's people, you can live, and that's what he said. Listen, you're a debtor not to live in the flesh. And if you do something and you violate on a, I mean, you just mess up. You, you, you get saved and you, you, somehow you end up in a bar and you just had too much to drink and you know you're drunk. Did that, does that now say, well, you're not a Christian. You've been excluded from the family of God. It's basically the, the, the verb tense here is to habitually practice these things. Now, if you're a true child of the king, what's going to happen? Man, the Holy Spirit is going to whoop on you. And you're going to feel horrible. And you're going to go home. And you're going to eventually get right with God and repent and get right with him and start living for the Lord again. But what is God saying here? Listen, people that habitually are in sin, habitually practice these things, they're not right with God. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in them because if the Holy Spirit dwelt in you, ba-boom, 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 you aren't going to be able to live with yourself. Ephesians chapter 1, let's get positive again as we come to a close. Verse 11, in him, in Jesus also, we have obtained a what? An inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, Christian, uh, uh, you've been predestined to get something. I'm not talking about salvation and getting off into Calvinism and Arminianism and all that. He says, listen, if you're a child of the king, there's something you've been predestined to get. And that's your inheritance. That's, it's non-negotiable. You're going to get it. Like it or not, you're going to get it. You're going to get heaven. You're going to live for eternity with Jesus. You're going to be there with him for eternity. It's non-negotiable. It's yours. And I don't know any Christian that would say, well, I really don't want that. Right? I mean, it's yours. It's your massive inheritance that God says, I've got this waiting for you, Christian. Colossians 3, and whatever you do, Christian, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Why? Why should every moment of every single day that we live, why should we be turned into God? Why should we want to live for him? Why should we want to forsake the old fleshly lifestyle? Why should we not want to do those things that cause grieving to the Holy Spirit of God? He says, whatever you do, Christian, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Why? Knowing that from the Lord you Christian will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Now, is that good? Yeah, man, that's good stuff. It's excellent. Last one, 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here it is. To an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for, guess who, Christian? You. Why does he put it doesn't fade away? When, when mama or daddy or grandpa or grandma or friend or whatever, when they die and they give you X amount of dollars or they give you a property, what's going to happen to all that? 
moth, dust, rust, what happens to it all? Bye-bye. Money disappears. Property disappears. Eventually it's worthless. And God says, it's not like that with me. God says, I got an eternal, I got an eternal inheritance rate waiting for you. Look at Nancy Christensen. I'm done. Her dear husband, Arthur. He's enjoying that inheritance today. <laughs> He's up there hooting and hollering, up there with Jesus. Arthur couldn't barely talk. For, what was it, 22 years that he had Parkinson's? 22 years when he was approaching the last days and I went back and I told it at the funeral I don't know if I've ever told it here and Art I mean he was wheelchair bound basically but he wanted to tell me something and that Art he stood up I mean dead stood up and he locked his legs like a stoic soldier and he's trying to relate something to me. And, I, and Nancy shared with me what she believes he was trying to communicate to me. He, couldn't, he just couldn't verbalize it. And I said, and I'm holding on to him, scared to death he's going to fall. And I'm like, good night, this guy is like rock-solid heart. He will not bend those knees. And I'm like, Art, I'm, I'm scared for you. Would you please sit down? And he's like, he would not sit down because he wanted me to get whatever he was trying to relate to me. And old Art couldn't talk. His body was destroyed by Parkinson's. And all of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, Art decided to breathe his last when the Lord decided to take him home. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, When we're absent from the body, we are what? We are present with the Lord. <laughs> and Art said, wow, I can talk again. I can move again. I can see Jesus and I can fellowship with him. I can enjoy all the things that are up here in the heavenlies right now. And I'm sure he misses you folks dearly. And I know you love him and you miss him dearly. But boy, he's got it made right now. Isn't that good, folks? Are you ready to grab your inheritance? Are you ready to get up there and like, whoo, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more corruption, no more problems. Just a wonderful, wonderful, massive inheritance that God has for you. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this wonderful reminder in the Word of God that we have this massive inheritance waiting for us. But Father, most of all, we're so sorry that Jesus had to go through what he did in order for us to gain that inheritance we love you lord thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made i think probably every single one of us could say here this evening that knows you and loves you we're appreciative of the fact that you have some wonderful environments waiting for us when we get to heaven but lord i think most of all every single one of us here tonight says i just want to see jesus i just want to see jesus and to be with him I want to have fellowship with my Savior for as long as I can to enjoy Him and who He is. Father, thank You for 
the fact that every single one of us can come to you simply by placing our faith and trust in you. And oh, what a wonderful time it's going to be when all God's people